So I've mentioned before that a priest in a homily is allowed. Remember the difference between a sermon and a homily. A sermon is about a particular topic um, like chastity and then the, the preacher brings in all kinds of different scriptural references. A homily is about a particular scripture passage and then brings in a bunch of different references. So it's about one reading. But the priest is not constricted just to readings. He can preach on the divine office for the day or a particular event or a saint of the day. But in the process of doing this, oftentimes the priests, we neglect the Old Testament. We almost seem to always be drawn to the New Testament. That's the nice God, right? But I want to talk a little bit because I don't want to always forget the, the, the meaning of the Old Testament. And the meaning of the Old Testament is covenant. And covenant, unlike a contract, which is between things, like two businesses doing business, covenant is between people. Here we have the Abrahamic covenant. We've had the covenant with Adam and Eve. We had the covenant with Noah. Now, what's the next big covenant? Abraham. Now, what's in this covenant as Brother Alex read? All right. To make Abraham a great nation. This is basically the promise. And bless him to make him great and to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. This is basically the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and make you a great nation. We're going to multiply you now. So to give Abraham's descendants a way to thrive, he promised them the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates. This is the promised land. So it was already going back to Abraham that it was promised wouldn't be realized until after Moses. But anyway, to make him the father of many nations and have many descendants, he would get the land of Canaan. That is the promised land. So they had to battle the Canaanites to be able to get into that promised land. Now, what was the sign of this covenant? Anybody? What was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? circumcision. Now here's what's interesting. Did you hear the part where brother Alex said they cut the animals in half and they walked in between them? All right, this ties to it. Circumcision is to be a permanent sign of this covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Now covenants, right, in biblical times were sealed by slicing an animal in half just as Brother Alex read, meaning that the party who breaks the covenant will suffer the same fate. So in other words, this covenant is pretty important. You break it, you're going to be severed in half, just like these animals. And so in Hebrew, to seal a covenant actually meant, translates to cut. That's actually the term used in the Hebrew. To seal a covenant is to actually cut, referencing what was going on here with these animals. Now, Jewish scholars say that the removal of the foreskin of the boy in circumcision represented that sealing of the covenant to cut. Now, luckily the little baby's only eight years old, you know, so, but anyway. Now, talking about Abraham, I think is important because we call him the father of faith, but actually... I'm going to go back to Father Seraphim, as I often do. We could call him really the father of trust. 
What's the whole message of St. Faustina? Trust. What's the whole message of the Gospels, of the Bible? Trust. Now, why would I say call Abraham father of trust even more so than the father of faith? Well, first of all, trust is a living faith. Father Seraphim used to point out, I don't know if Giuseppe can show the image of divine mercy, <clears throat> but in the image of divine mercy, Father Seraphim used to say, where it says, Jesus, I trust in you, is actually translated from Jesus, I faith in you. So a living faith. Now, here's what's important. Abraham was basically told by God, all this progeny is going to come from you. That was what today's reading was. I'm going to make your descendants great. Brother Alex read it, and Abraham's like, how are you going to do this? I don't have any child. I'm going to have to do it through a slave. And he says, no, I'm going to do it through your child. So he has this child. Who was it? Isaac. Then what's he do? The Lord asks him to kill him. So the Lord asks Isaac, or excuse me, uh, Abraham, has this boy, and then says to kill him. Now, wait a minute. If I'm Abraham, I'm going to be sitting there saying, hold on, Lord. You promised me in the covenant that my progeny was going to spread around the world, that it was going to fill the land. Now you're asking me to kill the only way by which that progeny can happen. Isaac. But you know what, Lord? I trust you. Even if you have to raise this little guy from the dead, I trust that somehow you're going to do it. And so this is what's going on here. Isaac became who? The leader or the, the father of the Jews. Now, who was Abraham's other son with the concubine who was born first? Ishmael. So you have Isaac who became the Jewish people and Ishmael, who did he become? The Muslim people. It's very interesting. It's called wild ass of a man. Very interesting. Now, I think it's important that we look here because we don't hear a lot of the relationship and the good, but also the tension between Christianity and Islam. And let's face it, burying our heads in the sand over it isn't going to make it go away. There are over 100,000 Christians losing their lives every year at the hand of Christian persecutions, a lot by Islam. Now, this is a reality. There's no other faith that even comes close to losing 100,000 people every year killed for their faith as Christianity. But you don't hear about that. You don't read about that in the news. You know, for the first time in history, there are now more Muslims in the world than Catholics. First time in the history of the world. There are now more Muslims than Catholics in the world. This gap will widen. It'll continue to widen. Why? Because the Muslims view, uh, they have large families. They don't believe in abortion. They don't, they don't believe in that. As in the West, we Catholics, we are now embracing abortion, birth control, and small families. Now, please don't write letters. I'm not saying we embrace that as Catholic Church teaching. I'm saying that's the falsity of what many Catholics have fallen into believe. This is a huge problem. And so what we have to do is first of all, pray for these persecuted Christians living in, 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 in Islamic lands. Now, for instance, do you know that the only option for Christians living in 
occupied Islamic territory. There's five of them. You have five choices. If you are a Christian living in Islamic land, you have five choices. One, convert to Islam. Two, pay a huge fine to practice your faith. Three, work as a slave. Four, leave the country as a refugee. Or five, be killed. Where is the freedom, the screaming and crying around the world? Where's the UN? Where is the United Nations stepping up and saying, why are Christians being treated like this? I just beg the question. Now, the first genocide in human history, we think of all the genocides that have happened, really the first real genocide to extreme proportions was in 1915, where one and a half million Christians were killed by the Turks, the Ottoman Turks. As we said, so many Christians dying every year. You know, we have to realize we need prayers, especially for um, Israel being in the midst of Islamic territory. An end to them would be a very bad thing because the biblical roots of Israel, um, the demise of Israel would be hugely detrimental to the world. It would show the West is weakening and the West is no longer going to survive. Um, the end of Israel would mean the end, or what should say would not mean the end of our problems with Islam. It would actually just be the beginning because in many scholars say that it would mean a openness to now trying to get domination, world domination of Islam. These are realities. I know you're all gonna send me letters. I know you're all gonna criticize me. Please, these are realities. This is what we have to think about. Sometimes we do have to stand up. We have to defend our faith. We have to defend our Christian roots and our history. You know, I'll be doing a talk on Saturday. I invite you to join us. I wanna talk about the Crusades because you talk about one giant black eye we get in our Catholic tradition is the Crusades. Kids are taught in school. Uh, former president used to teach how awful the Christian tradition was because we had a thing called the Crusades. I'd like to shed some light on the Crusades, which I will be doing Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. I invite you all to join us. The question that I wanna offer is, do we really know the truth? Do we really know what happened in the Crusades? Yeah, there were bad things on both sides. Nobody's denying that. On the Christian side, it was there was some stupidity. You know, us Christians ransacking our own beautiful town of Constantinople in the Fourth Crusade by our own Christians was one of the dumbest things we ever could do. So I'm not sitting here saying Christians are, are completely innocent, no. The ransacking of Constantinople by our own Christian brothers was what really caused the split between Western Catholicism and the Eastern Orthodox in 1054 because of our stupidity as Christians. But the truth is the Crusades were really defensive wars against Islam. They really was. It was the conquest of Christian land that started the Crusades. Palestine, Syria, Egypt, these were the most Christian places in the world. 
Wow, Father, they're not Christian now. No, but they were. Byzantine was the glory of Christendom. And basically, it was taken and reduced to a size little less than Greece. It was taken in desperation. The emperor of Constantinople begged the help of Christians in the West and said, if we don't do something, Christianity will disappear from the face of the earth. We must act. Crusades were not the response of some power-hungry pope. They were not, or some Knights Templar. I'm going to be addressing that whole Da Vinci Code fallacy. It was a complete fallacy. This is not some conspiracy of Knights Templar. The Crusades was a response to four centuries of attack where Islam captured two-thirds of Christendom and took it, and Christendom was disappearing. Is war ever good? No. Were there not mistakes on both sides? Yes. But the truth is a little different than what you've been taught. And I would hope to try to help us understand the truth of what the Christian faith was trying at least to do in the Crusades. Not perfectly. The goal was to protect pilgrims going to Jerusalem on pilgrimages that were being beheaded, that were being killed. This is a noble cause. Now again, maybe not carrying it all out. Now, Islam, there is some really good things here, though. I, I, don't, I know, again, you're all going to tell me how dare I, but Islam has some good things. Now, the fact is, it's actually, this is ironic. It's actually good that it's a Christian heresy. Not good that it's not Christian itself. That would be the best. But the fact that it's a Christian heresy, which is a total meaning, it misunderstands the meaning of God as Trinity. They don't believe in God as Trinity. Their misunderstanding is Jesus, not as a prophet, but as God. They are a, a heresy, but unlike Buddhism or Hinduism, there could be a conversion because it's based on the Christian faith, just misunderstands it. Now, this is the cause for hope. And this is where I want to focus on Saturday. You know, Fulton Sheen said, there's hope. Because the reconciliation between Christianity and Islam, guess what it is, he said? Mary. Mary. The Quran says Mary was immediately conceived, immaculately conceived, and was a perpetual virgin. Protestants don't even believe that. <laughs> So here we are. Protestants don't even believe Mary was immaculately conceived in a perpetual virgin, but Islam does. That's a starting point. The only woman whom Muhammad referred to by proper name was Mary. Right? No other woman got that designation. The Quran speaks about the Annunciation, the Visitation, and the birth of Mary. The angels in the Quran are quoted as saying, Oh Mary, God has chosen you above all women of the earth. Our Protestant brethren don't say that. The 19th chapter of the Quran has 41 verses about Jesus and Mary. Now I want to be careful because they don't see Jesus and Mary as God and the mother of God as we do. They see him as Muslims. So there is still a difference that we want to reconcile. So to finish, 
Muhammad even said that Fatima was the highest woman after Mary. That was her name, Fatima. And that is the town in Portugal where Mary appeared. It was named after the daughter of an Islamic prince. Fulton Sheen believed that it will be through Our Lady of Fatima that Muslims will be converted to Jesus. This is a beautiful hope. We have hope. I'm not going to be just talking about dissension. That's a reality we have to face. But let's focus on the hope that Mary will bring them back. Why do you see Mary standing on, like in Our Lady of Guadalupe, you see her on the half moon, right? Like she's on that Islamic symbol? Because she's going to be the connecting rod. You know, it's powerful because the Jews, we have three world's great religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. With Christianity in the middle, our goal is to bring them to Christ. That's what we got to do. The Jews, how are, how, why did they not think Jesus was the Messiah? Because they said that our Messiah is going to be a conquering hero, a soldier coming in on horseback with sword drawn. And all of a sudden Jesus comes as this pauper with bare feet and ragtag clothes that didn't attack Rome. Well, at least militarily. But how will Jesus come the second time? He will be what the Jews have been looking for. He will come as that soldier on horseback with sword drawn. Because now all his enemies will be put under his feet. So Jesus will come and be shown as that Messiah the Jews are looking for. So I believe then the Jews will come back and they will convert and they will become followers of Christ. Same with Islam. If Islam has the respect for Mary right now, and they see her as immaculately conceived and a perpetual virgin and all the other aspects of Mary, she will be that conduit to bring them back. This is the hope we have. So here's what's interesting and where I wanted to finish. The assassin of John Paul II, do you remember when John Paul II was assassinated, right? May 13th, 1981. His assassin was Islamic, hired by the Russians, but he was Islamic. Now, listen to what's important, I think, here. He converted to Catholicism. This is the assassin of John Paul II. He converted to Catholicism. Now, he, after he got out of jail, he made a pilgrimage to Rome and laid flowers on John Paul II's grave. You know why? He stated he could not believe that John Paul survived his point-blank shot. He said it is impossible that this man survived. I point-blank shot him. There is no way he could survive. This affected this man, an Islamic terrorist, and he converted to Catholicism. And he said that he believed all of this, including the survival of John Paul II, was because of Our Lady of Fatima. Can you believe the connection here? This is not about dissension between Christianity and Islam. This is about hope and unity. 
This is the beauty of it. And you know what was interesting? What really shocked this terrorist? He didn't even know it. The day he shot John Paul was May 13th, the anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima. After this terrorist learned all this, he converted to be a Catholic. So if there is hope for an Islamic terrorist, there is hope for all of us. And this is the beautiful message that I want to give on Saturday. It's not going to be just about dissension, but again, I keep saying we do have to face that reality. We have to pray for our persecuted Christians. But it's a message of hope. And where does that hope stem from? Jesus and Mary. And Mary's our foot soldier that's out there doing a lot of work right now. So let us join together and pray for unity and pray for brotherhood. Because like Abraham, we all have to come before our Lord with trust. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.